Welcome to the 86th episode of the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest, who's an integrative cannabis coach, amongst many other titles, Sarah McLeod. If you're new to the show, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I'm the co-founder of the Diabetes Daily Grind and host of this, the Real Life Diabetes Podcast. I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. Before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, today's podcast is brought to you by Gottlieb, maker of artisanal CBD-infused self-care products designed to engage the senses, ignite the spirit, and soothe the soul. Who doesn't need that? <laughs> Crafted with USDA-certified organic hemp extract and free of synthetic fragrances, dyes, and preservatives, Gottlieb's products are as effective as they are luxurious. The fragrance profiles change seasonally, so there's always something new to explore. Yay! Use code DDG25 through the end of May 2020 and receive 25% off your first order. A link to Gottlieb is in the show notes, so be sure to check it out. If you're interested in getting involved or sponsoring an episode, please contact the DDG's newest team member, Cynthia Selt, Director of Partnerships and Development at Cynthia at DiabetesDailyGrind.com. Number two, there's nothing like sitting across from my podcast guest in person, but Zoom video will have to do for now. Head on over to the Diabetes Daily Grind YouTube channel to watch me interview my guest and be sure to subscribe so you'll be the first to know when I release a new episode. Number three, please click on the Amazon banner on the DiabetesDailyGrind.com website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. Number four, I'm doing my best to put out a Facebook and or Instagram live feed each week sharing upcoming guests and exciting announcements. Your feedback is always welcome, so chime in if you have a question, thought, or idea. And finally, don't forget to love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the newsletter. Leave an iTunes review, please. I love them. And subscribe to the DDG YouTube channel. All right, everybody, enough rambling. Let's get started. Okay, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been an interesting day with blood yeah. sugar and stuff. So I'm hanging in there, still, still rocking it, I guess. Yeah, same here. I know. I just might. Mine was just yelling at me to uh, <laughs> calibrate, and it says that I'm low, but I don't think I am. It's one of those. Do what you need to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll let you get uh, us started here with anything that you need to go over first. No, I mean, I've got, I mean, I'm, I'm good. This is in my mind, as you know, like we talked a while ago, um, it's almost been a month, you know, there's just, I, I like your story and, um, it's for me, the podcast is more of just having a happy hour or conversation with somebody. <laughs> Absolutely. Cause I sure miss them right now. I really miss the regular stuff, like a happy hour hanging out with your friends. So I know it's been, it's been, um, so long since I've seen like anyone. So. <laughs> How's your blood sugar? You good? 
I'm 65. I'm going to grab my little juice box right here. Just okay. So This is real life diabetes, people. It does not stop for anything, including a podcast recording. <clears throat> While she is getting her juice box, I decided to eat real pizza for lunch. I am paying the consequences, both in my gallbladder and with my blood sugar. So we'll see how this goes. Got plenty of insulin on board, and hopefully that wave will flatten considerably yeah. so sarah i was just saying as you're dealing with the low i had uh pizza today like real pizza which mm. is rare i usually do like cauliflower crust and low carb whatever but today i just splurge and definitely paying for it definitely paying for it yeah that one splurge um and i know everybody's what do you what's your goal blood sugar normally I actually prefer to be a little higher than other people. Um, if I'm, if I'm south of 200, I'm happy, you know, like I love to be like 160, 150 only because I like, I feel like I go low so quickly and I actually don't feel very well. Um, when I start to drop, like, like I, I definitely feel the lows hit me hard. And with gastroparesis, it's such like, you don't know when you're going to digest that final little bit of food. Oh. So for me, it's so difficult. So I, I guess I would say more south of 200 is very generous. Um, I would say between like one, 120 and 140 is like my, like, that's my favorite spot to be. I, I'm with you. My goal is 110. And, um, you know, if I get below 90, I don't feel good. And it's, it's weird and hard to describe. And then I'm like, I could train myself to feel better with those, but I haven't, I haven't done that yet. So we'll, you know, it's different for everybody. And I think that's one of the reasons I really like doing the podcast too, is because even though I say this all the time, we're all diagnosed with the same disease, we all manage it very differently. So are you good to continue the podcast or do you, we need yeah, to Yeah, I'm actually, like I said, I'm actually fine. So today I really haven't eaten anything. Um, my stomach hasn't been feeling that good the last few days. So I chose just today just to do water, a little bit of coffee. Um, so on days like this, when I'm like already have been, I've probably been at 65 or 70 for probably a few hours even. Right. And ignoring my my little thing to, to, to calibrate. I've been working away at my desk here. So um, so yeah, so I, I think I should be all set. I might sip on this little juice box um if if i start to feel anything but luckily dex is dex is here and and checking on me so it's always nice to have uh yeah dexcom's got your back um well let's start with if uh your diagnosis story sure so i was diagnosed um when i was 15 years old it was during my physical so i went to my pediatrician's office with my mom um and we experienced, you know, the routine of the, of the physical visit. Um, luckily I had a very thorough pediatrician. So she actually, um, did a urine test and a finger stick, which, you know, for me, I had grown up doing that. I had been going to that pediatrician my whole life. And I have since learned that that's not the standard practice right. for all pediatricians. Um, so I, I always like to share that with anyone that I speak to, especially, you know, women that might already be moms or they're going to be moms someday, you know, some of my peers, I've always added that to my, my diagnosis story that I was surprised to learn that that's not the case at every office. So 
So Why? Did you have a family history? No. Um, so, so actually it was just, you know, um, funny, um, oddly enough, the doctor, um, who diagnosed me or, or believed that I could have diabetes, her name was Dr. Wright with a W. Um, but honestly, she, she was always right about everything. Even, um, you know, my younger brother actually had, he had RSV as a baby and, um, you know, he almost, he almost died as an infant and wow. her diligence to the the standard of care that she delivered to her patients was what actually saved my brother's life. So, you know, we have always, you know, really relied on her and really put a lot of our trust in her. And she was just that kind of doctor was really right. ahead ahead of the game. And, and maybe, you know, I never got to have a conversation with her. Maybe there's more to that story. Maybe, maybe there's a reason why maybe she had, had already diagnosed a child with diabetes within her practice. Um, you know, that would be really interesting to actually find out. I've never even thought about that. Keep you posted if you follow up with her, because I'm, you know, one of the things I like shake my fist all the time now is anybody that goes to the doctor, whether it's the ER or your GP, ask for a finger prick. I mean, there's, there's no reason why that shouldn't be the standard care for everyone. Um, yeah, especially with like one and two of us walking around, not us, we've already got diabetes, but for those who are pre pre diabetic, but okay. So no family history, 15, do you, um, you were 15. Do you know what your blood sugar was when she tested it? I think I was only in the high three hundreds. I want to say three eighty eight. That's what I've always stuck with that number. Right. Okay, well then you didn't go into DKA, thankfully. Did they? Did you go immediately to Children's Hospital, or they wanted me to get in the car and and go right away? However, my dad actually, and and he was only thirty nine at the time. He had just come home after having bilateral knee replacement surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, which he was very young to have that done, and so my mom was you know taking care of you know three teenagers, a household with trying to take care yeah. of the husband, and um, as I mentioned, my younger brother actually had. Um, almost passed away from RSV yeah. and she believed it to be neglect due to Children's Hospital in Boston. Not to throw names out there, but she had had a prejudice because of a, a personal experience. So we ended up going to New England Medical Center, um, Tufts Floating Hospital for Children, which luckily I'm near Boston. So there's, you know, there was an abundance of choices of where we okay. could go. Um, Lucky. Yes. So, so very lucky. And, and the funny story about the whole thing was, was because my mom is such a nervous driver. My older brother, who's only like 18 months older, he had just got his permit and he actually was the one to drive the car (laughs) into the city with my dad, with the knee replacements in the back with me. And it was a whole family affair. Uh, You know, never a dull moment in the McLeod household. (laughs) Well, I got to say, and this is not a fair comparison, but whenever I was diagnosed, my grandma, my nanny was with us because she um, helped take care of us. So my mom, my nanny, and my younger sister. So when they said, you've got to drive her immediately to Children's Hospital, or we're going to, um, or we're going to call an ambulance because my blood sugar was really high. She, we got in the car, she dropped off my, my nanny and my sister at, a, at an aunt's house in Route to Oklahoma City. And, and I, I don't remember any of that, but just it, it changed everything right then, you know, family affair for sure. Um, so no family history. Do you? I mean, everybody's got their conspiracy theory as to how and why they got type 1 diabetes. Were you sick as a kid? Um, you know, I, as I've gone down this road a few times with trying to think of like, all right, um, illnesses or, yeah. you know, even, even the connection to the mind-body connection, you know, like yeah. childhood experiences and trauma and that sort of thing, what can trigger a response within an individual. And most notably, I recall having Coxsackie virus that fall. Yeah. 
Um, so I had had white spots like in my throat and I actually had one like right on my lip. And I remember I had just um, started dating my, my high school boyfriend. I was, I was 14 when we met and I was horrified. I was like, this boy's not going to want to kiss me. I've got this thing on my lip. I don't even know where it's from. I've never seen anything like it. Like, and you know, after having researched what could potentially happen because of Coxsackie virus, you know, it, it appeared that type one diabetes was actually, you know, the lesser of many evils that can happen. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, as we're learning right now, like, you know, with, with the, the virus that's been going on, like, you know, you, you never know what, what's going to happen with an illness. Sometimes, you know, some people fare very well and some people yeah. don't. And, and it looks like Coxsackie can potentially be a trigger um, for that autoimmune response of type one diabetes. That's interesting. I've never even heard of that. I'm gonna have to do some research. I learned something new every day about autoimmune diseases, unfortunately, but it's nice to know. So um, let me see. Okay. So Sarah and I had a conversation, like I said, about a month ago, and you brought up the fact, and I never put these pieces together until you mentioned it, that I had reached out to you when we first started the blog to see about you being a guest writer. And if I remember correctly in the notes that I had, you said you weren't ready. You know, you weren't ready to share your story. And so why is it now? Because you really blossomed in the diabetes online community and you're helping with so many things and so many groups. So why is it now that you've, I'm going to say, found your voice? Um, I think it just it just took me um, some time to to realize that my story was worth sharing. You know, right. there are so many stories out there, and and what I learned that is everyone's story is worth sharing, really. Yeah. And 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 that's kind of come full circle now. I I try to highlight some stories of of the women that I've met um, through some of the things that I put out there into the diabetes community as well. And and I just think that you know the more the more you start talking, um, at least I guess for me, um, the harder it is to, to get me to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just need that initial, um, that initial confidence boost. And, and I think, um, you know, by finding my place within the peer support community, I think that's what allowed me to start um, to share my story more in person and with individuals that I was meeting. And then, and that really inspired me to take it online and, and, and to kind of bigger and better places, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, and I, in what, in our conversation, obviously, uh, previously, um, you mentioned the fact that, I don't know if it was a comment that someone made to you or what, but that you look healthy. You, I mean, whatever. And you're living with chronic pain in addition to diabetes, you know, and I think that's a lot of us are, it's, it's a backhanded compliment at best, but you never know who and how, why people are suffering. So do you mind sharing some of the, um, you talked about gastroparesis. Is that how you say it? Gastroparesis. Yes. Um, okay. And so, yeah, I, I have a few other things going on in addition to type one and a few of them are type one diabetes related. Right. So I, I like to remind, um, I like to remind folks that, you know, even people that you know, quote unquote, take good care of themselves, still end up with these complications. So yeah. I've worked really hard to move through some of the guilt and the shame that I experienced surrounding these complications because for for some time I felt, you know, maybe I brought these on to myself. Well, if I had done better, maybe I wouldn't have all these problems. And and really it's not, you know, it, it's, it, it's got nothing to do with that. Um, yeah. You know, of course we need to take care of ourselves the best we can, but um, you know, part of the reason why I have complications is because I chose to drop my A1C too quickly. So that's something that I now speak about a lot is, um, is recovery induced complications. So if you're someone that experiences burnout, 
or um, something like diabulimia where you're intentionally omitting your insulin, if you have a high A1C and you decide that that's not the life you want to live anymore, you want to be a quote unquote good diabetic, <laughs> you drop that A1C too quickly, you're going to wind up with some of the complications that you're, you were trying to avoid in the first place. And so that's kind of Crazy. what happened to me. So I ended up with gastroparesis. I had dropped my A1C from about, at its highest, it was 18. But I think during my hospitalization the first time, um, it was about 16. And so I dropped it down to under 11 or, you know, under 10, something like, like that. Um, within like, you know, eight weeks, maybe, maybe a little longer. Um, it was very quick drop. And I think that's what kind of brought on some of the discomfort that I was feeling, um, not just in my stomach with the gastroparesis, but also within my legs. So I have neuropathy. Mm. Uh, and at the same time, Perfect Storm was also going through treatment for Lyme disease. I live in New England. So um, it kind of was all just happening at, at the same time, both the, the A1C drop because I was in recovery from burnout and diabulimia and also um, the Lyme disease. So I started experiencing gastroparesis, um, neuropathy. And so, you know, for a while it was evident, you know, that I wasn't (laughs) as healthy as could be. I was very frail and very thin for some time, um, potentially needing a feeding tube, which was super scary and something that, um, you know, just a conversation I didn't even want to have or consider. And luckily, I was able to avoid it through um, several dis- different holistic healing modalities that I'm sure we'll get into. Um, you know, but in the meantime, I was struggling just to get back to being that normal-looking person, um, so that I could just go about my day without having you know looks of sympathy or questions of concern. And you know, getting to that place where you look normal, well, <laughs> you really want to be there either, because then you know, everyone forgets, e- even, you know, nowadays, like all these years later, um, you know, like when I struggle maybe with, you know, keeping up with tasks at work on a certain day, because my eyes are just bothering me, you know, I, I feel bad because I don't want to, you know, make excuses and say, well, you know, remember, I have retinopathy, and I'm right. going blind, <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be a downer. And I, and I also don't want to look like I'm trying to make excuses. I know we all, we all got stuff going on. Um, but it is hard to, to hear, well, you look normal, or it is hard, um, you know, to not sometimes have that acknowledgement that, that what you go through is, is difficult and that yeah. you have to make extra efforts that maybe other people don't have to make just to get by. Right. And yeah, that's so, yeah, that's a, uh, so let's talk about, I can't imagine, you know, you finally get your A1C down and I mean, I, I don't hear that very often, if ever, that how quickly I'm going to do some research on that because that blows my mind because the goal would be to get it down as I would think as quickly as possible because you want to have your blood sugar regulated or whatever. So whoosh. Um, okay. So let's talk about, and I'd never heard this term. You are an integrative cannabis coach. Did I say that correctly? You did. Okay. <laughs> tell me, tell well me and everybody else exactly what does that mean? Okay. So the reason why you may never have heard um, that phrase before is because I kind of um, invented it based on my areas of expertise. So I am an integrative nutrition health coach. I certified through the Institute for Integrative Nutrition. So I I did a year long program, um, lots of studying, lots of tests and and became certified in in holistic health. Um, Integrative nutrition is the is the 
the coined phrase um, through this school. And, and basically the idea is that, you know, our nutrition isn't just what we consume food wise. It's also, right. you know, the, the media that we consume or, you know, our, the other things that nourish us like relationships or our career or our spirituality, you know, all those other areas of life. And so, so when I was trying to figure out, you know, well, what am I in, in this coaching world? And, and there, there are so many things that I do, but in relation to cannabis, um, you know, because of how I was able to, to look at cannabis in a new way, um, I was able to integrate it into my wellness routine. So instead of it just being something that I chose to partake in recreationally, it actually became an incredible healing tool for me. Like I said, I was facing a feeding tube, um, you know, really really unsure about what that meant um, for my future if I was going to have a surgery that was going to be invasive to my body. Because even though I've been through so many different things, um, I still haven't, you know, knock on wood, I've never had to have an actual like surgery, which I, that makes me feel so grateful. Um, Oh, yeah. Because I know, I know that there's so much out of our control at that point with what may happen or, um, you know, what the future looks like for us. So, so for me, it was really about just getting my own life back, getting myself um, back to socialization, back to work, kind of maybe how we're all feeling right now. Um, you right. know, I'm stuck at home and, and spent, you know, almost the entire year that I was 21 in bed. Um, I was very sick with Lyme disease and with, um, you know, some diabetes related complications. And, and a lot of those issues have, have since, you know, improved. Um, you know, I'm not free of gastroparesis, but um, I'm able to manage it through things like cannabis. But in addition to cannabis, um, I also am very into other holistic healing modalities that help support the endocannabinoid system. So that's the system within our body that cannabis relates to. So even if you're not somebody that uses cannabis you are definitely becoming exposed in other ways to um, cannabinoids. So in the herbs that we eat, um, you know, your body actually produces endocannabinoids um, within your own body. So you naturally produce things that interact with this system. And so there's other ways to help support this system that don't involve, you know, lighting a joint or eating an edible or taking a picture. Um, You know, you can incorporate more omega-3 fatty acids into your diet and and you're definitely supporting that system, you know, physical movement, physical activity. Um, There's been so many different things that have helped me. And my goal with uh, being an integrative cannabis coach is is to help kind of shine a light on the healing benefits of cannabis so that um, people can become more open-minded and more confident and comfortable about implementing this plant into the their wellness routine um, in a therapeutic way. Well, and it's so crazy. And so Oklahoma um, is where I reside and it just, we have, it just got legalized for medicinal pers- purposes about uh, 14 months ago. And we're one of the biggest states, like I'm shocked that we actually got it passed <laughs> period, but it was incredible. And what the, um, what it's done for our economy. There's all kinds of things. That's beside the point. That was ridiculous. But I was in Colorado, gosh, when I first started doing the blog and uh, we went into Durango, I was actually in Arizona. We drove into Durango for a concert or something. And I was like, I'm going to go to a dispensary. I want to see what this is all about, whatever. And so I go up to the counter and I'm looking at everything. And then I have seen my fair share of things in my life. But I, uh, I asked, I said, Hey, is there anything specific? Do you have any literature or any, because they're always, you know, 
talking about the medicinal side of things, I said, is there anything related to diabetes? And the poor kid behind the counter was like, even the very educated and what was available, he was like, um, hold on, went to the back, came back and had a manager or somebody and the guys has wrote something down for me. I wish I still had that sticky note. But he was like, this is the Bible of cannabis. There's got to be something in here. I don't know off the top of my head. I couldn't tell you what page, but check it out. Well, then life got busy and I forgot. So do you know what I'm talking about? It's like one big, I'm not going to say medical journey journal, but it's, yeah. I have, I have a book that's probably similar, if not the same one that this person might have um, been talking about. So I have, a, I have a cannabis health index. So it's just like, okay. it's literally like an encyclopedia and you can go to any ailment, you know, be it a headache or Alzheimer's disease or right. Parkinson's or diabetes. And you can flip to that page and you can actually start to see um, some of like the research studies done. Yeah. Um, in relation to the, the condition and also, um, you know, cannabis or, you know, whether it's CBD studies yeah. or, you know, um, other cannabis related studies that include some of the other cannabinoids like, you know, THC and, right. and the other ones that are maybe a little more psychoactive. Um, unfortunately, there's not a lot of research that has been done because it's been federally illegal. So yeah. to see diabetes specific research would be even more rare. Um, however, there are um, some interesting studies happening in Israel. Um, that's one of the places where some of, um, you know, the, the most of the research, I guess you could say, is happening with cannabis. Um, a lot right. of it is happening. And so there's some interesting things um, that is out there about um, cannabis and CBD specifically reducing retinal oxidative stress. So oh, yeah. that's one of the things that I'm very much interested in at this point, um, you know, being someone that's facing retinopathy, um, you know, oxidative stress in general, that's something that everyone has to be in consideration of, but even more so if you, if you have a body that is, you know, I hate to say suffering from type one diabetes, but in a way being affected day in and day out by the fluctuations sure. of our glucose levels. Um, I can't you know, wait for the day when I go to my endo and they're like, okay, well, it looks like your A1C is pretty good, but you know, we, we noticed this, we're going to go ahead and give you a script for cannabis. <laughs> we're going to need you to go here and get this. I'd be like, what? I'd be like one uh, positive medication <laughs> that I'd be prescribed, I guess. Yeah. And, but, and that's yeah. really one of the reasons too, why I'm interested in, in kind of exploring more of the world of, of health coaching in relation to cannabis and especially in relation to diabetes, because I think there, there is so much information that's out there yet. There's still so much that's not known. You know, I go in, into the Facebook group sometimes and I'll, I'll scroll through and, and see so many questions about, you know, does anyone yeah. use CBD? Does anyone use cannabis? And, yeah. and I see sometimes even people giving advice like, Hey, make sure you take insulin when you smoke cannabis because your blood sugar is going to go high. And I actually want to lose my <laughs> mind because it's not true. Right. Um, so that person might have some other factors going on, but actually there's, there's plenty of evidence that cannabis helps to lower your blood sugar. Right. And, and that is absolutely true for me. I can see it happen on my Dexcom. So um, I've really enjoyed being able to be a cannabis user now that I have access to all this diabetes technology, because I'm able to kind of be my own scientist when it comes to right. how does this affect my blood sugar personally. And, and the school that I went through um, for my health coaching certification really celebrates being a unique individual. Right. And the, co the coined term is bio-individuality. And so, you know, just recognizing that we all have our own unique needs. Um, but there are, you know, specific things within a cannabis plant. Um, 
cannabinoids yeah. that you know could potentially lower blood sugar. For instance, um, THCV, um, which is one of the specific um, cannabinoids that can be found. And why um, why is it why is that? What makes that? I mean, do they obviously if they knew we would it'd be a totally different ballgame? But like, I, I mean, think. Uh, my my assumption is that that particular chemical compound helps to increase insulin sensitivity. I don't think I don't think the THC V or anything within cannabis is necessarily lowering your blood sugar as insulin would. However, I do have a suspicion that that those compounds are making the insulin that we take just work better for us. Kind of like if a type one person was to take like a metformin or something. And again, right. keeping in mind. I am a holistic health coach. I'm not a scientist or a doctor or, you know, a and nurse. we're not providing medical advice. This we're isn't, sharing, yeah. Yeah, this isn't necessarily medical advice. You know, as a coach, I'm able to help guide people um, to be more comfortable and, and maybe figure out the questions that they might have. And, um, you know, it's really about it's about accountability when it comes to, you know, setting our other, other health-related goals. Um, right. So that's where the integrative um, part comes in. So just kind of integrating it into the other aspects of our life. Hmm. Because I, I strongly believe, um, you know, that it's not just one thing that's going to help us. So that's really, um, that's really what set me on the path for so many of the other healing modalities that I rely on was that, you know, at a time when I really couldn't function, I couldn't get out of bed, I couldn't eat, I could barely walk, you know, cannabis was there for me. And when I started to feel better, when I got myself up to that baseline where I was able to make some more decisions for my health, you know, I did start to explore some of the more natural ways to take care of myself because a plant was the thing that helped me. And I really felt like, you know, nature calls, right? So, and I've always been that kind of way anyways. I've been very outdoorsy and very much into natural things since I was very young. That's all I can remember. Um, and I've been told, you know, in the past life, you've been a shaman or you know, whatever <laughs> they want to say to you, but you know, you've got to wonder, it's like, why do I have, you know, such a desire to not use prescription medications if there's another way for myself. And, and luckily, you know, I was on, gosh, I can't even tell you how many pills and I don't take any of them now. And I, and, and, and within that first year of them being prescribed to me, I knew I said, this isn't right. This isn't, I don't want this. Yeah. I want I want more for myself than just popping pills. I'm only 21 years old. And, and so yoga and um, things like Reiki and, and even just a, a simple mindfulness practice as a way to deal with some of the anxiety and stress that I was feeling about life, but also that I was feeling about these complications that were making their way right. into the world. You know, it's a lot to deal with. It's a lot. And, it, you, you, well, and you said in the very beginning, you know, we, a lot of us with type one uh, live with guilt and shame. And so it's like, there's so much. Okay. And so with that guilt and shame, then you're pressing in my mind, your soul, your, your higher being down. Well, what is that doing? That's in my mind. And I'm not, I'm going to get all hippie-ish, but like that affects your gut. I mean, so then when it affects your gut, then you're going to have acid reflux then you're going to have to take a pill and all these things are interchanged. And so it's like, what I've chosen is, you know, a different diet. There are certain things that I chose to remove from my diet when I was 14, just because i there was another thing there. And I love the fact that when you t we talk about cannabis or whatever meditation for me is huge is that's a tool in my tool belt and it's going to help better manage my diabetes. And I can promise you we're most of, you know, 
a doctor's not going to prescribe meditation. He can encourage you maybe to exercise more, or what does that look like? And I hope that we see that change. But yeah, you have to have, you got to do some different things and non-traditional, I would say, I guess. So kudos on you for really exploring those paths and for sharing that with, um, you know, you've got a podcast, you've got, a, you've got all kinds of stuff. So let's go into a little bit about your community involvement and what resources you're providing the T1D community right now. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I, so I, um, I lead a group for, for women online. Um, we've been meeting for about a year now. I was really inspired um, after uh, the slipstream experience that I went to last year up in Maine. Um, you know, I, I was able to share yoga and connect with some of the people that were that were present for the weekend. And and I was really feeling like, how do we stay in touch? We're all so far away from each yeah. other. Um, and I had been leading peer support groups in the Boston area um, since 2013. And and just was finding that I couldn't really fit it into my day-to-day schedule anymore to, to get to a location and, and to be prepared and present for these people. So, so you know, before all this Zoom stuff um, happened <laughs> this year, um, you know, last summer I was, I was hosting monthly Zoom meetups for women with diabetes. And, and at first I, you know, I had this idea that I wanted to make it, you know, more about yoga and meditation and, and maybe spirituality, but I was a little hesitant to label it as such. And, and so we really just started to explore kind of the internal world, thinking of mental health, thinking of our, our mental wellness and, you know, some of the harder things that we maybe go through as women with diabetes, things mm-hmm. like, you know, depression or addiction or PTSD or, you know, anxiety, eating disorders, that sort of thing. Because really when I formed the group, I thought, you know, who am I? what are the labels that I would give myself? What have I been through? And kind of like creating that almost like avatar of like, who, who do you want to call in? Well, I want to call in women like me. So that's what I did. And, and we founded Grace and Growth last June and and started meeting. And now we, um, we meet actually pretty regularly these days since, since we're all home, uh, we kicked (laughs) it back off, um, in March with weekly meetings. So now instead of once a month, we're meeting once a week. We meet Wednesday nights and we call it the garden. So this, this meeting is like the secret garden, you know, not recorded, very um, private. And, and actually we, we choose to keep those conversations closed. So what we talk about with each other in, in the garden doesn't even come back into the Facebook group. So right. it's really um, a unique opportunity for whoever is able to be present to really share and, and experience um, that, that, you know, community connection with each other in that space. And then on Fridays, we have um, a live podcast recording. So it's really just another opportunity to get together on Zoom. And I bring in um, a guest for what we call grow and tell. So (laughs) back to like kindergarten, you know, you know, we all we all find different ways to grow. So yeah. I, I like to, to highlight some of the members of the group, uh, anyone that has an interesting story to tell, anyone, you know, that is feeling um, like they want to share their story. As I said, yeah. you know, so many, we all have a story and each story is unique and beautiful. So, so we've been doing that. And, and, and I figured, you know, why not just re- press record and, and throw it up on YouTube. So it's really now become a podcast format that way, you know, not only, um, does it have the potential to reach other women with diabetes, but maybe just people in general, men with diabetes, but, 
maybe people that don't have diabetes, um, medical providers might be able to see these episodes and hear more about our, our unique experiences as well. So that's kind of what I'm hoping for with that. Um, can you give me an example of maybe one of the topics that is brought up in the garden? Sure. So, um, you know, this past week we, we talked a lot about, um, some of the anxieties that we're feeling surrounding being home um, during this time and and struggling to find ways to to take care of ourselves when there's so much demand from, you know, our workplaces and our families. You know, I'm not the only person in the group that doesn't have children, um, but many people do. You know, a lot of the women have kids that that are coming to these meetings. And so just really kind of sharing in, in the different experiences of, of the different women that are present. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's all about whoever's on the call. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like, I, I mean, like it's a group, I'm going to say this and correct me if, if it's not correct terminology, but it's kind of like group therapy um, because it's an open dialogue. You get to feed off of each other or, feed off of each other essentially. So when you leave or when you shut that down at the end of the session or whatever, you take a deep breath and it's like a huge weight is off your shoulders or now do you feel like you're wearing the weight of those people because somebody might've shared something like they were suicidal or, you know, really struggling. So yeah. How do you handle that as, as a host? That's a great question. And um, actually we've been having, um, a little moment of meditation at the end of our, our garden meetups. And, and what's been really joyful for me is that I've invited other women to share the meditation. So it's not, it's not me that's leading it, which is, it's really a treat for me as well to be able to experience that meditation from, from a friend, but also, um, you know, when I approach that space and when I approach this project, it's really out of service for others. So, um, recognizing my own opportunity to just kind of plug into that space as somebody that can help facilitate some of the connections between women. Um, you know, I, I definitely have a lot of ways that I check in with myself and um, make sure that I'm, I'm feeling okay. But at the end of the day, um, I really just try to remember that, you know, I'm here to hold space for these women to, to come in and to share what they need to share. Um, and at the same time, they're holding space for me. Right. So it's not, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm like the shepherd tending to the flock. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I love that I also get to participate at, as equally as much a member of, of the garden as I am, you know, the person that maybe hosted or, or put it on or, or founded it. <laughs> right. Well, I want to go back to slipstream just a, for a second. That, because I know what it is and um, not, I've not participated. I think maybe because I feel a little too old. I may be too old. No, you're not. <laughs> I mean, maybe in the beginning I thought there was an age like limit, but, um, but I, I remember seeing Paloma last year uh, participating and I was like, girl, if she can go out there and do that, I can do it. Cause I'm not a, I'm not an outdoorsy person necessarily. Um, but tell me like how, so you participated last year, but now this year you were actually teaching and, doing other things and obviously it's virtual now. And can you talk to that and like maybe what's coming, coming up? Sure. Yeah. I, um, I had the pleasure of, of teaching last year as well up in Maine, um, Lakeside. It was, it was so beautiful. And, and I, and I shared this weekend during the virtual slipstream that really, um, really slipstream has meant so much to me throughout these years because, you know, my first year attending the Maine slipstream, 
um, yoga was actually led by Lauren Bongiorno. Um, oh, yeah. It's just a delight. I mean, and, and such such an important person in within my diabetes journey, you know, it's, it's awesome to have someone younger that, than you to look up to. Um, <laughs> cool thing, um, because he is younger than me. And um, we've been able to form a friendship. And, and actually, um, I shared this weekend that I skipped my yoga teacher training graduation. It's the only session that I missed in the entire program, because I wanted to be at Slipstream. Oh, and I knew wow. that I had to be there. So, so this program that I had diligently made sure I didn't miss one minute of for an entire <laughs> eight months, I said, eh, whatever, I'm going to Maine. And, um, you know, the next year was able to come back and, and teach um, by the lake and, and to connect with the people. And then now, this full year later, you know, we're all, we're not able to attend together in person, but I was able to share yoga from my home this past weekend. And you know, it, it brought tears to my eyes when I started talking about how much it meant to me because, you know, I have missed teaching, being home, um, right. and and teaching people with diabetes is the reason I became a yoga teacher anyways. You know, I'm not, right. I can't necessarily do every single yoga posture in the book, you know, you know, whatever, if you wanted to say that there was a book with all the postures. Right. You know? um, I, I, you know, there's so much, you know, I can't do, but instead of focusing on the things that I couldn't do, I, I, I chose to focus on the things that I could do. And I knew that because of the other work that I was doing within the diabetes world, inevitably, I was going to find people who were interested in how yoga has helped me and my complications. So I thought, you know, the best thing that I can do is, is go maybe go through a program so that when I share about yoga, I can do it from a place that's really informed and really knowledgeable. Um, and what I, I soon realized was that, you know, I, I have such a connection and a passion for, for yoga and, and not just the physical movements of yoga, but really the, the lifestyle, the, the philosophy. Um, you know, I love studying the sacred wisdom literature from India. Um, I really feel strongly about the messages that I receive um, from the community that I'm a part of. Um, you know, I'm part of a bhakti yoga community and it's just, you know, that's the yoga of love and devotion. Um, and it's, it's of service, you know, that's really what it's all about is of, of serving God, but also serving each other and, and really showing that love and that kindness. And, and that's, you know, how I see my work in the diabetes world. It's, mm -hmm. it's really about um, being of service to others, uh, even on, you know, days when I'm not sure, you know, why, why is this girl who, you know, can't answer emails on time or, you know, do the, all the stuff, like, how are you trying to run these meetings? And it's like, well, if you didn't, this wouldn't exist. And maybe someone needs to find this. So I just do the best that I can each and every day. And, um, and, I, and I hope that, you know, I'll be blessed to continue doing this work for, for many, many years to come. Well, and I applaud your efforts and everybody that's putting themselves out there because, you know, you're vulnerable, you're real. And, and that's, I mean, I feel like other people with type one, that's what we need is we need somebody A to lean on, B to look up to at times. Um, and also that you, you're not scared about talking about walking the walk and what all you've done throughout your life, the good and the bad um, that brought you to this point, because none of us are perfect. We're, well, we're, we're perfectly imperfect. Um, and what does that look like? So if you were to give, and maybe this is too blank of a, of a statement, but four things that are part of your, I'm going to say daily, weekly routine that help you stay grounded with your diabetes? 
And whether that's physical, like, of course you give your insulin or whatever, but like I would say for me, it's meditation. I, I go on a 45 minute long walk. What does that look like? Or even some days it's my meditation is cooking because I'm going to take my mind off things and just focus on what I'm about to put in my body. So yeah, if you have anything to add to throw to that, what do you do? We're all looking for tips. <laughs> sure. Well, I guess, well, you know, one of the, the obvious ones would be, would be yoga. And right. like I said, not just the, the physical movement of yoga, but, but the community that I'm a part of. So many mornings I wake up um, at five o'clock a little earlier and, and I listen to um, a Zoom call podcast that's all about, um, it's called the Srimad Bhagavatam. And it's, um, it's one of the, the sacred texts from India and the hosts, they share a small passage and, and kind of what it means to them. And, and I find the, the wisdom that I get um, from that podcast and, and from that book to be so helpful as I head into my day to the point where if I don't wake up early, you know, I actually didn't wake up this morning for it. So I have my iPad here. I just watched it before the call with you, um, I feel like I missed out on something. So really yeah. setting the tone for my day um, with that with that yoga um, philosophy is really helpful for me. And it's and, 5 a.m. there, so that would mean that it would be 4 a.m. for me. I want to participate, but that is tough. Maybe yeah. can we, So I can go back to it. I could look, I mean, I could tune in at 8 or whatever. Absolutely. They um, they put it up on, on YouTube and actually on the weekends, they do it at 8 a.m. Eastern time. So it's a little a little later on the weekends, luckily. Uh, ah. Sleep on Saturday, they call it. But I really love um, I really love having that kind of as as the, the start of my day. Um, and, and if if it's not necessarily the podcast, say I'm waking up later. Um, just having time, you know, before before the cell phone action, yeah. before the TV turns on. Um, just really honoring kind of that sacred time of the morning, whether that means, you know, grabbing my journal, maybe journaling a little bit. Um, I really love tarot and astrology. So, um, you know, I'll maybe pull a few tarot cards. Um, I might check out. So I have like um, a, a calendar, whatever, a, a planner, I guess you'd call it. I'm like, what is it? What are those things called? Yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck in my home, not even using it. Right. Because I have no things to know where to go. <laughs> So I have a planner that actually is um, is unique to my own natal chart and the astrology exactly where I live yeah. here, um, just south of Boston. So I, I check in kind of with like the astrology forecast of the day so I can kind of think about some of the energy that I might be working with. Um, yeah. And then in the moving into my day, um, you know, I may, I may choose to use some cannabis um, in the morning if I'm not feeling very well, but Typically, um, you know, I try to to limit the amount of cannabis I'm using um, during the day, just so that I can, you know, stay on task and stay yeah. focused. Um, though there are certainly um, different products that I can choose that actually keep me more focused. So really yeah. knowing knowing what I'm using and being that informed cannabis consumer right. allows me to kind of pick and choose when and where I need to to use um, my medicine. Um, but beyond that, I would say time with my dogs. So I have two, I have two dogs. So I say time with my dogs. Um, yeah. I have an older dog who she'll be 17 this year. She's twinkling around right now, her little toenails. Um, she's very old and, and that is so hard these days, but you know, just grateful for, for every moment with her. And then my younger dog was actually trained as a diabetic alert dog. So yeah. he is super special to me and we have such an amazing bond. Um, I love him. His name is Hawkeye. And really, um, you know, what Hawkeye does for me is he 
really allows me to have a, a new kind of motivation for my diabetes management because, you know, when I got him, I had an understanding that if I were to have this animal and I'm trying to keep him on task, you know, I, I owe it to him to keep my blood sugars as balanced as I can because I don't want to confuse him. And yeah. I also don't want to waste all the wonderful time and training that he's had. Right. So, so when I got Hawkeye, it was like, you know, it was like I was honeymooning again, you know, not the diabetes honeymoon, I guess, but like <laughs> that kind of feeling of like, everything's great. Like this is, you know, um, there was like a novelty, I guess, to my diabetes management once again, because I had this dog that was helping me. And, you know, we, we ended up moving home from an apartment that we were in when I first got him and we lived with my parents for some time, which he was spoiled a little bit by them. So. <laughs> So we're working on, you know, refreshing some of his skills. And, and really when I, when I got him, it was so that I could learn how these dogs are trained. It wasn't so much that I thought, you know, I, I need one for my health and safety, though it's obviously an amazing benefit and such a privilege to be able to have an animal like him. Um, you know, it was really so that maybe someday when I have um, a house and some land, I can train these dogs and just oh, nice. give them away for free. Yeah, because they're not cheap. No. <laughs> God, that's, it's so crazy. Well, I'm glad. And so Hawkeye is how old? Hawkeye will be seven this year. Wow. Yeah. I can't it, believe it. <laughs> I mean, it's your baby. I mean, let's yeah. not kid ourselves. And that's, you know, see why your parents spoil him. It's their grandbaby. I mean, yeah. So does Hawkeye do it? I mean, we could do a whole other podcast just about having a, a diabetes alert dog, but Low, I mean, what are there differences is how he approaches you between the lows and highs? Sure. So he actually, um, he was a started dog. And um, so he spent the first 18 years, oh, 18 years, 18 <laughs> months, the first 18 years, the first 18 months of his life were spent um, being trained in North Carolina where he's from. Yeah. And so uh, the story goes was that the trainer was um, training two other standard size poodles at the time that were already promised to families, people had put deposits down, blah, blah, blah. Um, so she was really focusing on those two dogs. And I think Hawkeye, I think he was maybe in the running for becoming a father dog, not a dad, because we know dad is diabetic or dog. Like the like a daddy, like a daddy. Like, um, cause I actually met his actual father. Um, his father is named Spanky and he's very cute. <laughs> and, um, and I think maybe, um, it was decided that he wasn't going to be a father dog to the, to the new puppies to be bred. So she started doing some of the low training with him, but then was focusing on the poodles that were promised. So right. he knows, he knows lows. Um, he was not trained by anyone else besides me with highs. Okay. Um, so I would say that is definitely where he is not as strong would be, um, on the high end. He, especially since, um, I do feel like with my gastroparesis and stuff too, like I tend to go higher, maybe more often than the average. Yeah. I guess, I guess that's not, that's a silly thing to say. Who knows how many people are going high out there for whatever reason, but, um, <laughs> But he, he's pretty good with lows and, and really, I mean, the amount of times that he's woken me up in the night, um, he doesn't have one of those, I think they're called like bring, bring sols or something like that, where they like have like a little stick and they bring over the stick and like the stick is like the magic stick that tells you the low is happening. Hawkeye's more of like a, here's my paw, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to be all about you right now. Yeah. 
and and really that's that's because you know my my experience as a dog trainer is very very limited so it was it was the training that he received prior to him being my dog um, right. down in North Carolina and then what we've been able to accomplish up this way but um but yeah they're fascinating what these animals can do and it's crazy and you know, I mean when you see all the time on social media and, you know, that dogs and cats that aren't trained can can pick up on these things and that blows my mind I was with a a woman whose daughter has a diabetes alert dog and the daughter didn't take it to school with her that day for whatever reason we were sitting with each other and the dog just walks up to me and just starts nudging me and puts his paw on my and my blood sugar was high and I was like it, and it was crazy the dog would not stop until my blood sugar went down I was like I promise I've got insulin on board I, I've got this you know but you know for a like, kid I just it, it's they're saving lives there's no doubt that and with the technology um hopefully we won't hear about kids dying in their sleep so yeah and, and with him like you know he's he's got some anxiety issues and stuff too so originally I had thought that I would maybe hire someone that would help me kind of finish his training but but with him um, once I got to know him a little bit more, I realized, you know, it's okay for us to be the team that we are. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a reason, even spiritual reasons I feel he entered my life. So I'm like, <laughs> even if you're not catching every single low and, you know, whatever. And, and I don't really, it's not like I'm taking him, you know, when I travel, like I travel to diabetes conferences and get on airplanes, I often, I don't take him with me. It's not, you know, it's not like yeah. I have him at all times, you know, going to target or, yeah. you know, luckily my, my regular job, um, is pretty dog friendly in general. So he yeah. comes, he does come to work with me every day. And, and I do feel so lucky for that, um, to have my dog yeah. under my desk all day long is pretty, pretty rad. I'm like, well, if you have diabetes and, and this is what you get a dog though, that's, that's okay by me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so he really so, is an anchor of, of, of comfort for me, for sure. Yeah. Well, that's good. And that's another part of the, I'm going to say diabetes management, that that's a therapy tool. I mean, um, loving on a pet. Yeah. And when I have um, like a gastroparesis flare up, especially like if I'm at work or if I'm in public um, and, you know, this isn't what he was trained to do, but if I don't feel well and I'm very nauseous and even if I'm going to be sick, um, I can just get down on the ground with him and I put my head into his fur and I pet him and he just lets me love him. And, and I, <laughs> it helps. So I'm like, you know, this was not the original intention. And I know, um, if my diabetes, um, check-in alarm goes off at 555. <laughs> um, you know, he, this wasn't the, the original in, intention for Hawkeye, but he's been able to provide me with so much, um, love and comfort yeah. for other reasons too. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, I seriously, we could sit and talk for hours because you're a very fascinating person and I applaud you, um, your vulnerability and being able to talk about all these things and not many people can and I'm glad um, that we're, we're talking about this because everybody with diabetes is curious and wants to learn from other people and cannabis, being an integrative cannabis, let me make sure I say that right, integrative cannabis coach. I mean, I like making up my own titles and I think I need to make up one for myself. <laughs> I don't know what that is yet, but um, Sarah, thank you so much for taking time and for all of your activism and all the community work that you're doing because you are really helping people and you never know you know, how many people you actually touch. It's, it's kind of crazy. So we will definitely have a follow-up episode in the future and everything we've talked about listeners will, there'll be uh, links in the show notes. I definitely want the one about the Indian 
um, like you pronounce it so beautifully. Srimad Bhagavatam. <laughs> I'm gonna need you to tech, I'm gonna need you to send me a Facebook message with a link to that because I would never. Yes. But um, I appreciate all of your tips. So enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Sounds all right. Good. Thanks, Amber. This was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good day. I really dig Sarah's energy and applaud everything she's doing for the diabetes community. Good on you, Sarah. And keep doing what you're doing. We need more people like you. Before I wrap up, I have a few last minute things I'd like to share. Number one, this episode was brought to you by Gottlieb CBD infused self-care products. Be sure to use the discount code DDG25 when placing your order. You get a pretty sweet discount. Number two, I want to thank the medical community for doing everything they can to help us stay safe. Grocery delivery services for allowing us to stay home. Local restaurants for delivering good food to my door. And fellow advocacy groups for providing valuable resources during this time. Thank you from the bottom of my T1D heart. Number three, the mini podcast series featuring brands, services, and organizations I believe mirror my mission can be found on the website and all podcast platforms. If you'd like to learn more about how you can have your own mini podcast episode, please shoot an email to Penelope at diabetesdailygrind.com. And finally, please continue to leave iTunes reviews and love, like, and share all things social media. If you want to contact me directly, I can always be reached at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com and getting a message from you, as I always say, makes my heart happy and keeps the episodes coming. All right, everybody, stay safe. Cheers to the highs and lows.